I want to take, a, take our time today, and as we're in this summer series of Psalms, and if you'll turn to Psalm chapter 13, I want to talk to you about feeling the presence of God and really kind of answering the question, why don't I always feel God? So if, when you hear that phrase, some of you may, this may be the first time you've been in church where like that kind of a conversation comes up. You're like, well, I don't, was I supposed to feel God or what is that? Uh, I'll encounter people, uh, maybe they're new to Life Church, and they're like, man, I, I just, like, I'm in this worship service, and I'm in this weekend gathering, and I'm, I'm just crying, and I'm not upset, but it's like there's something that's just different. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit. They just have maybe never encountered it or encountered it in that way. Um, or, or you're just in a service, or you're, I'm preaching. This, this is a common statement. It has nothing to do with me. It's the presence of the Lord. It, it never is about the, the vessel that God uses. It's always about what fills that vessel, which is the presence of the Lord. And people go, man, you're just right in my kitchen. Like, you, are you reading my emails? Are you, this is really weird. Like, it's like you're talking right at me. No, that's the presence of the Lord that's doing that work in your heart and in your life. Then you have times where you don't feel that anymore. And that scares you. Because you're like, is something wrong with me? Maybe I'm not as close as I should be. Maybe I'm not reading the Bible as much as I could. Maybe I'm not praying as much as I could. And, and those things could be true, but there are just seasons that are dry. There are seasons where you just go, I don't really feel, quote unquote, God. And, and, and part of that is, is because the reason why we feel or don't feel is we're emotional beings. This is part of how God made us to have human emotion. For instance, the emotion of anger. There is nothing sinful about being angry. The Bible just says, in your anger, sin not. The ability to have anger, which is a human emotion, is also a trait and a characteristic and attribute of who God is. That's the reason why you and I are created in the image and the likeness of God. God gets angry sometimes. And, but in his anger, he sins not. So he gives us that emotion. We have the emotion of compassion. We see it with Jesus. Jesus sees Lazarus. And, and when he hears of the news, he begins to cry. And he sits and he weeps, knowing full well he's about to raise him from the dead, which is something I don't completely understand. Why would you cry about something you're just about to do? Just go do it so that we don't have to cry, right? I'm not much of a crier. But, 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 but the point is, is that he sets in the human emotion with Mary and Martha, the two sisters of Lazarus, because he's touched in that way, human emotion. But there are seasons and times where we don't feel that. And so we go, what do I do? And I have this conversation with people. Maybe I need a change of church. I've been in church very long. Churches go through ebbs and flows. Why? Because it's comprised of people. And people go through ebbs and flows. So when everything's great in the world and in the economy and, and in our world politically, and it's just all, all everything is just like awesome, uh, church attendance, you watch it, it begins to dip. We're great. But all of a sudden, we began to deal with all of issues and problems and what's going on here and there. All of a sudden, the church attendance begins to rise. Why? Because all of a sudden, we, we, we need to get back. We, we want to make sure. It's like a toddler. It's like Zara that was just on the stage. She'll run around and play, but she's going to come back to Lindsay ever so often throughout the day because she wants to know that's, that's where base is, that's where safety is, that's where home is. She wants to know that presence. Tammy would say to me when the girls were little, 
The girls can tell when you're home and when you're not. Just your gait, the, the way that you walk, uh, the heaviness of your steps on the wood floors in the house, it's just like, well, Papa Bear is home. He may be a little angry, but so let's leave him alone. But he's home, and, but there's a safety knowing dad's home. It's a presence. It's one of those things that's very, um, non, it's very abstract. It's non-concrete. It, it's somewhat ethereal, but you know when it's there and you know when it's not. But how do I, what do I do when I don't always feel the presence of God? Is there something wrong with me? Is there something wrong with the church? Is there something wrong in the world? Not necessarily. Is it my fault? Sometimes people say, is it God's fault? Is it the worship team? Like they're just no longer in tune and, and whatever. Uh, maybe I'm over sensationalizing it. Maybe, maybe I've got sin in my life. Maybe they're hurt or grown bitterness. Maybe I don't even know the Lord the way I need to. David writes this Psalm and he talks about this issue. This is what I like about this. Cause David is a man after God's own heart. God said of him, and at this point in time in his life, David is no longer slaying giants or doing any other heroic feats. He's actually in a very low place, and he doesn't feel God's presence. And if you know much about David, he was very much a Renaissance man. He was a warrior that, man, had his, uh, the skins on the wall for what he did with, as, as, a, as a warrior. He was a servant. That's just the way his nature was, being brought up the way he was, the youngest of all of his brothers and working in the field and so forth and so on. He's also a, a poet uh, and a songwriter, i.e. psalms. A lot of the psalms that we have, he's written. And, and he was a gifted musician, so even when before he became king, King Saul, his predecessor would bring him in and David would, would, would play the harp and the lyre and, would be, and, would, and began to give psalms and these things that he basically had written while he was watching sheep uh, out in the pasture before in obscurity. And the Bible says that it would, it would soothe the soul of the king. He, he's, he's a very, you know, uh, and his romance issues got him into major trouble too. I mean, he was quite the lover, as we know. I mean, that's, that's, that's the whole story, right? So David is a guy who is in touch with his, with, with his feelings. Uh, a psychologist may say David was in touch with his feminine side. And, and I don't mean that like in some homosexual type of a way. Don't go, oh, I can't believe pastor's talking about. Blah, blah, blah. No, I'm not talking about any of that. I'm talking about the fact that he was in touch with who he was. He would read, he would write, he would journal, he would express his feelings, his emotions. He's very connected this way. It's very interesting. So you've got a guy who is a master warrior, incredibly gifted leader, and at the same time has this incredibly sensitive side to him. Psalm 13, verse number one through six. I want to read this and I'm going to unpack it here. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts day after day and have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Verse three, look on me and answer me, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love, for my heart rejoices in your salvation, and I will sing the Lord's praise, for he is, has been good to me. So what do you do when you don't feel God's presence? First of all, we see David chooses to be honest with God. If you're taking notes, just write that statement down. David chooses to be honest with God. 
Those first four verses, if you go back to that, the first two verses are just questions. And then the next two verses, three and four, are basically a very declarative statement to the Lord and his motive. Look at it. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day and my sorrow in my heart? And, and how long will my enemy triumph for me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. That's a pretty direct statement. And this is, he's, you know, again, grace was extended to David in a way that was like a precursor to what Jesus would do on the cross. Give light to my eyes or I'm, gonna, or I'm basically going to die. Either help me show up here in this moment or I'm done. And my enemy's going to say, I've overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. If you're in any kind of leadership position, the higher up you go, the more successful you are, the more critics you have, the more people that rejoice to see you when you fall. He's like, look, I'm at the top of my game, and there are so many people that want my head on a platter. If you don't show up, if you don't do this, if you don't, then they're going to say, see, he's a failure. He's a fraud. He's a phony. He, he couldn't last. He couldn't run the race. He couldn't do this. He, he couldn't. And, and I'm going to fall in such a way that's going to be embarrassing to me, and I'm just done. So David begins, first of all, with how he feels, transparency. Transformation takes place in transparency. Don't ever forget that. Transformation takes place in transparency. If you can't be honest with yourself and with the Lord, game over. Forget about being honest with me. I'm not your priest. You don't have to come and confess everything to me. I, I don't need to know that. Matter of fact, I have not the ability to, to, to take your sins away from you, nor does any other man on this planet, quite frankly. And I, this isn't my ideology. This is called Theology 101. It's the way God wrote it. Jesus is a high priest, the book of Hebrews says. So we go to him and that we obtain grace and mercy at any point in any time. But if you can't go to him, if you can't go to Jesus, if you can't be transparent, say, hey, this is how I'm feeling right now. I feel like you're far away from me, God. I feel like that I, I don't sense anything. I, I feel like I'm dead on the inside. I feel like I'm in a desert right now. What have I done wrong? What have I done? If you can't journal that out, if you can't just sit in that emotion and be raw and real, about that with the Lord, the transformation will never take place. What you will do is you will have a man-made mitigation to figure out how to work around this, and it will become this false sense of hype. You're being in a church that's hypey, and you're going, these people are all excited, but I sense nothing in this room. Ooh, don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. Because there's something that's different when it's just real. And so the, di the difference is, is that they have replaced production with the presence of God. They've replaced uh, true worship unto the Lord with, with what feels good to them. And if we're not careful in the world in which we live in, uh, especially in the church world and the church community, and, and even the younger generation, I watch this. I've had conversations with my youngest about this. I don't care how polished the song is. I don't care how great the musicians are. I don't care about the decibel level or this or that. What I want to know is do you believe the words that you're singing? Do you believe the words that you're, that, that you're saying? Do you, do you live that out? If, 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 if you were in some country bumpkin other side of the track, kind of a church where, where, where there, it's an upright piano that's out of tune and it's a guitar player that doesn't know how to keep rhythm and, and there's no drummer and there's no lights and there's none of this really cool vibe. Can you worship God? 
That's what I want to know because what happens is, is we trade all of this stuff, all of this production level, all of this, instead of, no, it's heart of worship. It's, it's this transparency that I'm going to get real with God. David, that's what David says. I'm, I'm going to be real about this. I am tired of feeling this distance. I'm tired of feeling this aloneness. I'm tired of feeling, I need to know. He deals with the distance in verse 1. He sits there and acknowledges what it is. He confesses the feeling of, feel, of feeling forgotten. It's right there in verse 1. He confesses the emotional state of his mind and his heart of this loneliness that he feels in verse 2. He confesses the victory of the enemy in verse 2. And he doesn't deny any of the despair that he has. Notice in David's honesty, God does not strike him dead or curse him. Because God is never off put by your questions. Think about this. If you're a dad or a mom, your child that you love comes to you and says, I need to have a real, honest conversation. And they bear their soul to you. Oh, my goodness. Wow. The amount of guts and initiation and all of that that it takes just to be that honest, that transparent, that vulnerable as an adult child to a parent. Wow. Do, do, do you, do you just, just like you push that away? No. You welcome that because what that says is that child trusts you. That child needs you. Your child is in need of help and they're coming to you. Same way with God the Father. It's what Jesus says. You know, if, if, the heavenly father, if the earthly father loves his children and does good, how much more does your heavenly father do good for you? If your earthly father will take care of you, how much more does your heavenly father? Honesty. If you're feeling disconnected, I encourage you, get alone with God. Journal, pray, which is just having a verbal conversation with the Lord, and just get it all out. Secondly, David chooses to trust God. He chooses to trust God. This is really important. He, he, he goes in, in verse, verse number five. He says, but I trust in your unfailing love. So regardless of the first four verses, which is how I feel, what's going on, and what my concern is, that I'm going to be an utter failure, and everybody's going to see me to be a fraud, and everybody's going to do this, and I'm just, I'm just going to die in this lonely state of disconnect. But I trust in your unfailing love. But I, there's a choice there. And notice nothing's changed. His emotions haven't changed. His, his um, God hasn't spoken. God hasn't moved. God's letting him just get all of it out. He's just emotionally vomiting everything that's in his heart, everything that's in his spirit. It's all out. The circumstances don't change, but David's decision does. This is important. He says, I trust in your unfailing love. I, you choose, not God. Work with me on this. But you're saying, but I, we're talking about God's presence. It's not my presence. Yeah, yeah, but you've got to make a choice. You've got to make a choice. Are you going to wallow in the emptiness? Are you going to wallow? And it's okay. there's a season for that. Again, verses 1 through 4, he does all of that. 
It's out. He's talking about it. Oh, woe is me. I'm going to go outside and eat worms. Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me, right? You know what I'm talking about? Bloom, despair, and agony on me. Deep, dark, depression, excessive misery. I'm, I'm not saying deny your feelings. People that tell you, you know, just push that away. The Lord loves you and just go on. No, no, no. They're crackpots. No, no, no. You, you got to be real about yourself, right? You know what I'm talking about? I mean, we all have days where we feel bloated. Amen? You don't tell everybody, but you feel that way. So you got fat jeans. Amen? Can I get a witness in the house? Oh, come on. You skinny people get on my nerves. All right, so the deal is, is but be honest. Just be vulnerable. Be real about how you feel. Get it all out to the Lord. But once you've got it all out to the Lord, then you have to make a decision. Before there's ever any movement of your heart most of the time, before there's ever any emotional change, before there's ever any, before God speaks in this moment, he, he says, I'm going to choose, I'm going to trust in your unfailing love. But the first two verses, he's talking about, God, you're not even there. Where are you? Bueller, Bueller, anyone, anyone. It's one of those moments. And, but, but he goes, I'm going to choose. Uh, not God's not choosing. My feelings aren't choosing. Let me just say that too. Your feelings are important. I get that because it's how you feel. But if you are led by your emotions, you are going to have a very jacked up life. Uh, you're going to have jacked up relationships, marriage, kids. You're going to reproduce that. At some point, you just got to go, look, man, everybody has a bad day. And everybody's life is not the highlight social media reel. Uh, this is not real. <laughs> I, I just want to say that. I mean, it's just, it's, it, anyhow. So my brain, it's like, there are so many things right now I'm editing because I got, I only got eight minutes and 42 seconds. The point is, is we all deal with this. We all have bad days. We all have bad seasons. David, the only person in scripture to be given the moniker, man after God's own heart, and God gives it to him. Goes, man, I don't even feel you're even there, God. But I, I got a choice, am going to trust. I'm not going to be led by my feelings. I'm not going to be led by what I see. Faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. How does he do this? What's he putting his trust in? Your unfailing love. God's love, unconditional. Because he looks back on his life and go, hey man, I wouldn't be at the position to even have enemies if it weren't for you, Lord. The reason why I have critics and I have enemies is because of the success that I've had in my life. I'm sitting in this palace and I feel very alone right now, but I look around and there is nothing that's withheld from me. You took me from obscurity to here. You guided every step of my life along the way. When Saul wanted me killed, you protected me. When I had to hide out in caves, you protected me. When my pride began to creep in and I could have taken Saul and killed him myself, your spirit convicted me and I confessed my sins. See, what, what keeps David right before the Lord is not his purity. It's not his holiness. It's not his perfection. Because if you read the story, he's none of those things. It's a heart that every time the Holy Spirit goes, uh, you missed it. He goes, you got me. 
He doesn't argue his case. He doesn't try to circumvent God's plan. He doesn't try to get around the law of God. He just goes, you're right. And he falls upon the grace and upon the mercy of God. And anyone that ever comes to David, that comes to him in that posture, when he has the ability as king to destroy them, he gives grace. Why? Because to whom much has been given, much is required. That's the secret sauce with David. It's not his giftedness, it's not his good looks, it's not his power. It's not that God liked him better, it's that every time he got in trouble, every time he sinned and the Holy Spirit showed up, he went, it's me. He trusts in God's unfailing love. And David chooses faith over feeling. Look at the rest of verse 15, I mean verse five. He chooses faith over feeling. For my heart rejoices in your salvation. My, this is my control. Listen, if you wanna sit in that desert lonely season, and there's a season sometimes, but if that's where you want to live, that's your choice. It's not God's choice, it's not my choice. You can go to 16 different churches and guess what? Wherever you are, in the words of the great theologian, Austin Power, there you are. It's really deep. Some people have destination disease. Oh, this is, this is always funny to me about Wisconsin. We've lived here almost 20 years. People, where I grew up in Arkansas, again, we're glad to have a you know, pair of shoes and a full set of teeth, all right? So, um, oh, it's so cold. Oh, I'm going to move to Florida or Arizona. It's always Florida, Arizona. I don't quite understand that. But anyhow, Florida, Arizona. So do you want to fry or you want to bake? It's just your, kind of your choice, right? Well, I grew up, no one talks like that. Because you, first of all, you don't have the money to get out of there. But secondly, you're just kind of like, no, it's just. And I've lived here long enough, and I grew up in the South, that quite frankly, I've, I'd much rather take a couple of cold months in the winter then I would have to just, I mean, it was 108 this past week where I'm from. And the humidity levels in the 90s. It's oppressive. So all those people are doing are living in air-conditioned buildings, air-conditioned buildings. And when it's like that, it's that wet cold. Ugh, blah. Anyhow, so it's not like this where it's like, ah. So anyhow, it's, it's a deal. Of, but my, my point is this. It's, it's, it, it, people are always like, it's this destination. Well, if I could just get to Florida, if I could just get to Arizona, life would be great. No, there's another problem there. Snakes, alligators, rattlesnakes. Can I just go on anywhere, right? We have no real poisonous snakes in this state. It's a really good thing. Anyhow, so I'm just saying like, there's, there's going to be heat and humidity. You're, you're going to deal with something somewhere. So instead of saying, if I could just get there, if I could just get to this other church, if I could just get married, if I could just be single, <laughs> if I could just be this, if I could just be that, I'd be happy. No, you wouldn't, because guess what? It's you, baby. It's your own humanity. And when you own that, you're a person that's comprised of emotions. And sometimes those emotions are jacked up. That's okay, but that's how it is. You're, you're going to be better. But, but David says, look, this is, this is my heart. So I'm in control. And the heart, it's, a seat, it's the seat of emotion and feeling. It's going to rejoice. That word rejoice means to have joy again in. I may not have joy right in this moment. I may not be happy right in this moment. I may not feel everything I want right in this moment. I may not always sense God's presence in this moment, but I will again. Don't gloat over me, my enemy, for though I have fallen, yet I will arise, David says. I'm telling you, I'm going to have joy again. I'm gonna have happiness again. I'm gonna have victory again. I may not feel it right now. It may not look 
like it right now. You may not see it right now, but I'm telling you, it's within my control and my power because it's my heart that God put in my body and gave me my mind and his word. And I know I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor a seed begging for bread. So I will rejoice again, even though I don't feel it in the moment. Amen. And he rejoices in salvation. This is interesting. Because salvation, this is kind of a foreshadowing. Jesus hasn't yet come. And so, but he knows that salvation belongs to the Lord. And, and, and he receives this by faith and not by feeling or by emotion. And you and I have received salvation, rich and free. So what shall you fear? Really? I mean, I'm amazed at how freaked out we get in this world by death, especially as Christians. Now, again, I'm not trying to die. Don't, don't think that. I'm not licking doorknobs trying to get this variant or that variant, right? And, and, I, and I understand there are people that are really dealing with some real issues and, and stuff, and I get all that. And there are people that have, have, have uh, situations that they've got to be very careful. But I'm talking about just the vast majority of people to just walk and live their life in fear of anything. It's this today, it'll be that tomorrow. Why do you fear? Paul says to be absent in the bodies, be present with the Father. There is no downside. You know what the downside is? Is that life is so good here, we can't really truly imagine how great it will be there. That's the, that's the truth. Sometimes we, in a first world society, have so many creature comforts that Jesus is just another add-on if we're not careful. Instead of being our everything and our all. My grandmother, every time she'd see a beautiful home, not even like a palatial home, but just a beautiful home, she'd go, oh, I wonder how beautiful heaven must be. And then she'd start talking. You know, they, you know, the Bible says, Aaron, it was always the Bible, that we're going to walk on gold, streets of gold, the Bible says. The gates we made out of pearl. She just starts going on and on and on. She put it all in context. You know why? Because she, she didn't have anything. They lived in government-subsidized housing. Little 800-square-foot little fourplex. Drove an old car, would clean the church so they had money to put in the offering. Anytime somebody was sick, my grandmother made a meal and gave it to them. Didn't have anything. There was no inheritance. Not in this world, there wasn't. And what happens if we're not careful is generation after generation after generation, we get away from that. And we forget that our hope is built in nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. So whom shall I fear? No one but the Lord. Proverbs begins with the, the beginning of all wisdom and all knowledge is to fear God. That's it. That's the only, the only entity, the only situation, the only person that we're to fear is fear the Lord. Not to fear you. Not to fear society. Not to fear any 
variant or any death or disease or sickness. Again, wash your hands. Don't be stupid. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't go like, he, I'm not saying anything crazy. I'm just saying, but don't walk and live in fear. David chooses in that moment. Again, God's not spoke yet. God's not done anything yet. And in verse 6, he chooses to praise the Lord. David chooses to praise God. He ends and says, I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. I, again, it goes back to a decision based on choice. We'll sing. I'm fully committed to sing something. I got, I got to be all in it. You know, this is not something I don't. And I'm not going to sing my praise. I'm not going to sing of my accolades. I'm not going to sing of my worries or my woes. I'm not going to sing of my loneliness or my despair. I'm not going to sing of my distance from the Lord. This isn't some country song where I lost my dog and the trailer and the truck all in the same night, right? And my, and my, and, and my, my wife walked out. I mean, I'm not singing of, of despair and loneliness. No, I'm going to sing of the Lord's praise. David's thoughts shift God's silence to now God's salvation. And what happens? His worship is his response. Why? Because God has been good to me for what he's done, not what he's going to do or doing. If God didn't do anything else in your life, has he given you enough so far for you to praise him? He has me. If God didn't answer any other prayer, didn't do anything else from this day forward till the time that he takes me on, he's done enough blessing in the first 50 years of my life on this planet that he's done that in my life for me to sing of his praises. Sometimes the strength of our walk with God comes not in the now or in the future, but it's remembering what he's done. It's like an old-fashioned testimony service in a church. On Sunday nights, we used to do church, and the pastor would say, before I go to preach, I just want to know if anybody has a testimony. We don't do that anymore because that's crazy. People say crazy stuff. I can do a whole message that would keep you in stitches on things that I've heard. But there would be people that would get up and talk about the faithfulness and the goodness of God. See, worship, this is interesting, I was having this conversation with Ava yesterday. Worship is not about music. She asked me, she said, Dad, do you like every song at Life Church? No. No, I, I love Pastor Nando, I love our worship leaders, I love all this, no. But it's not a church isn't about me. This service is not about me. And when I'll go to church and it's not about me, who's it about? It's about him. So all I'm trying to do is give God glory because the Bible says when I glorify God, God inhabits the praises of his people. So as my praise goes up, God begins to show up. And maybe the reason why God hasn't shown up in your life is you're waiting for him to inhabit something, but he, you're not giving him anything to inhabit. Oh, don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. You're sitting back with arms folded and, and just kind of skeptically looking instead of stepping in and just saying, you know what? It doesn't matter how I feel. It doesn't matter what's going on. It doesn't matter if I sense or feel the presence of God or I don't. I'm going to sing of his goodness because he's been so good to me. I cannot tell it all. He's 
done so much for me. I cannot be silent. I don't care. And there's times I looked around this morning at the Germantown campus and so many of you had your hands up. Why? Because you remember when, you remember when you're declaring the praises of God. This is what God has done and this is what he will do. And there's victory in that. And the enemy knows that. That's why he wants to get you into critiquing the worship or the music or this or that or your own feelings. It's never about you. It's about him. We used to sing an old song, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonder and grace. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. David goes from a holla to a hallelujah and God never responds. God never shows up. How does he do that? How does he have victory when there's no tangible evidence where all of a sudden it's like Isaiah sees the Lord or, 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 or Elijah hears the voice of God? That never happens in this passage. Why? Because God's been there all the time. It's been David's humanity that was the problem, not the Lord. He's there. And David got his eyes. Look at verse one, look at verse two. It's all about him. Look at verse three, it's all about him. Look at verse four, it's all about what are my enemies gonna say? But in verse five, he goes, you know what? It's not gonna be about me. It's gonna be about the Lord. It's not gonna be about my salvation. It's gonna be about the Lord's salvation. It's not gonna be about my goodness. It's gonna be about the Lord's goodness. It's not gonna be about my strength. It's gonna be about him. And it shifts. Many times God's there the entire time. Not many times all the time. We just need to recognize it. And my humanity sometimes gets in the way. And I say this because you may go, I just don't really sense, is there something wrong with me? Not necessarily. Well, how do I know? Real simple. The only thing that can keep you, can keep distance between you and the Lord is sin. But I don't think, that, I don't know of any sin. Then you're okay. You're just in a season where your own humanity is louder than, than, than you're allowing the presence of God to be. Turn down your humanity and turn, how do I do that? Go back to singing his praises, go back to this, lean into this. It doesn't matter if you feel anything. Don't let your emotions guide you, let faith lead you. Remember, that's the economy of heaven is faith, not feelings. Humans, it's all about feelings. How I feel, how I feel, how I feel, how I feel, how I feel. <laughs> God says, don't get your eyes on how you feel. Get your eyes on what my word says. Get your eyes up on what I've done. And then I will continue to do exceedingly abundantly above all you could think or ask. If there's sin, deal with it. If that's the roadblock, deal with it. If you're struggling with some addiction, with some something, don't quit struggling. Some of you, you just get so burdened down and you're just like, I'm not good enough. None of us are good enough. I'm not perfect, none of us are perfect, none of us. we're all messed up. Just keep going to the altar, just keep giving it to God, just keep struggling, just keep working, moving forward. Eventually you're gonna get through that wall of addiction, you're gonna get through that situation and then you're gonna have victory on the other side. And God's there with you the entire time. His grace is sufficient for you because his strength is made perfect. In your perfection, no, in your weakness. So I wanna pray for you today. 
And I just believe that God is going to, you're gonna sense his presence as you lean into this. And anytime you find yourself there, go back to this. This is what I love about scripture and let it speak to your heart and lead you right back into his presence. Father, I just thank you today. I thank you for your people. Thank you for your word. I thank you for the Holy Spirit. And I just pray in these few moments, God, that we've had today, let this sink deep into our hearts, beyond our emotions, beyond our feelings, into our soul. And let the sweet voice of the Holy Spirit just confirm your word in us. And help us not to look to the left or to the right, but to keep our eyes upon you, the author and the finisher of our faith. Let us make choices to be led by faith and not by feeling. To walk by faith and not by sight. Knowing that if you don't do anything else in our life, you have done so much to this point that we cannot tell it all. But believing full well that your salvation endures forever and your grace endures forever and your goodness endures forever and your mercy and your glory and your goodness has no end. So we believe. We believe in you and we put our eyes upon you. In Jesus' name.